Well, tonight, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to be tonight, kind of to begin. Genesis chapter 2. And we are calling this session that we're looking at tonight the mission of marriage. And I think that'll make a lot of sense to you in a few minutes. But um, let's go ahead and pray. And uh, we'll jump into this. Do you want to pray? Sure. Oh, Lord, we just thank you for this evening and just an opportunity to open up your word that's living, it's powerful, Lord. It goes down into just the depths of our our very being. And so, Lord, we're here tonight because we want to receive your truth into our lives and be able to apply it to our marriage. So, Lord, would you work? Would you speak? Um, And, Father, just have your way and your will be done this evening. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week we talked about this idea we threw out that all you need to fall in love is what? You may remember? A pulse. A pulse. Okay? You just need to be breathing, all right, in order to fall in love. But in order to stay in love, you need a plan. Okay, so that was our focus uh, last time. And in this session, we want to expand the plan by talking about the mission of marriage. Now, it's a very popular author by the name of John Eldridge. Maybe you've heard of him. And he has said that every marriage needs a mission and an adventure. But I like to say that the mission actually is the adventure. When you, when you get the idea, and hopefully tonight when you walk away, you're going to have a good, clear idea of what the mission is, it becomes the adventure. So what is the mission of marriage? We're going to learn tonight from the first couple that God created, the first married couple, and When God made the very first married couple, Adam and Eve, he brought them into the world and he gave them a very clear mission that we see here in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 18. And I just want to say this. Oftentimes, when people get married, they think this. Maybe you did. I think I did. That when they were getting married, that God was bringing their spouse into their life for the sole purpose of their personal happiness. You know, it's like, this person is going to make me more happy. They're going to complete me. That was their mentality. How many of you had that mentality when you're going to marriage? That's who you're thinking. That's kind of typical. And, And, you know, that... There is a biblical aspect of truth to that because we're told in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that after creating all of the animals, okay, God creates man. And it says in verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So I will make a helper comparable to him. Now think about that. God creates, you know, all the the heavens, the earth, the ocean, the seas, the sun, the moon, all of the angels, and his last creation is man, and he makes man, and he steps back, and he's like, this isn't good. 
I mean, everything else, God said, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And he makes man, it's like, this isn't good. It was incomplete. And he says that we sh- it's not good that he should be alone. Now, think about this, though. Adam had God. He had God. The Bible says Adam and God took walks together in the garden. But God said that he needed a helper, a person comparable to him as well. And so he's going to create the woman. And so we want to consider this story. And Denise, would you you start reading just beginning at the end of verse 20? Yeah, so for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs And he closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Okay, so pause here for just a moment. And I want you just to note that that Eve was not taken from Adam's head to be over him. Wasn't taken from his foot to be under him, but he, she was taken from his side, his rib, to be right next to him, closest to his heart, okay? So Adam goes to sleep, he wakes up, and there is this naked creature next to him, okay? And so verse 23 says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woe man. Um, That's what he says, right? He's like, wow. That's your interpretation, right? I kind of actually like, um, although I'm sure she was beautiful to behold because she was perfect, but um, I do like um, a description that Um, Tim Keller says some insight into this, that he's saying when he says, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, that Adam is basically saying, as I see you, I now know who I am, that Adam found himself in Eve. And that's really a, a powerful picture. And then verse 24, it goes on to say, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So Tim Keller is obviously more spiritual than I am uh, as he comes up with that, because I'm just thinking, whoa, man, naked woman, this is awesome. But anyway, <laughs> but it, notice it's interesting that it says they were naked and not ashamed, okay? There's an innocence there. There's a freedom there. But then what happens after the fall? After the fall, when they eat the fruit, it says right away, they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. And this is a little side note. That's what sin does in a marriage is that it, it can destroy the innocence. It can destroy the purity of it. So we see the first marriage here, the first wedding. God says it's not good that Adam should be alone. And he says, you know, before that, let's make man in our own image. This is what theologians call the Imago Dei, that the man and woman were made, none of the other creatures, but the man and woman were made in the image of God. Man has been uniquely made with a moral compass, And we have been uniquely made by God to live in relationship. He's made us to be relational. 
First with him, that's our highest relationship, and then with each other. And the most intimate, the most amazing relationship that God has created for mankind here on planet Earth is the relationship between the husband and wife that we call marriage. Well, after this, so there's the creation, there's the setup. But after this, the Lord proceeds to give them a mission. I like to call it mission possible, okay? Look at verse 28. God blessed them and said to them. Here's the mission, okay? First of all, I want you to note that he said to them. Everybody say them, okay? He didn't say to Adam. It's important, okay? This is going to be important you catch this. It wasn't like, okay, Adam, I'm giving you, you know, a mission here. This is for you. Eve, you're just the helper. No, no, no. He blessed them and said to them because marriage is a partnership. Marriage is what we would call an ordered equality. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But notice it says, he blessed them. How did he bless them? With a mission. The very next thing that he's going to say is meant to be a blessing to them, but it also, he describes the mission. So notice again, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So here is their mission in a nutshell, that their mission was to multiply and they did that by loving God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength, loving each other And then here's the second part of the mission that they were called to take care of what God had put into their hands. He places them over the garden. He places them over creation. He says, rule over this. Take care of this. So this is the mission that God gives to the very first married couple. He wants them to, first and foremost, to be in love with him, to be submitted to him with everything that they have, and then to be in love with each other, loving each other. And through that, there was a multiplication that would come forth. And there's a, you know, obviously a physical aspect of that aspect to that but there's also a a spiritual aspect because we are called spiritually to be multiplying to make be making you know uh, children spiritual kids as we're leading others to christ but then he tells them to take care of the garden to take care of what god has placed into their hands and i say that this is the mission that God has given to the very first married couple, and this is the, the mission that he gives to every married couple, especially those who are following after him, is that they would love him, they would love each other, and they would take care of what God has placed into their hands. Now, now check this out. When we realize together with our spouse, that God, that we have been called to a unique mission. Because why is it unique? Because what God has placed into our hands is unique. It's different for all of us. There are some similarities, but, but, but it's different, it's unique. So all of us have been called to this unique mission. When we realize that, marriage becomes an adventure. 
It becomes something that's like, okay, we're on mission together. If you approach this the right way, it becomes a adventure. God's on, on mission. You know, he's on this mission to redeem a lost world to himself. And God invites us to be a part of that mission as well. So here's the big question. What has God put into your hands? Think about that. Well, he's put a family into your hands. Now that could be, for those of you who have kids, that's, that's your immediate family. But it's also, you know, your parents, your siblings. It's, all of that is a part of what God has entrusted to you. I like to call that our, our sphere of influence. He's put into your hands friendships, people that he has brought into your lives that are a part of, of that connection. He's put time into your hands, and resources into your hands. He's put areas of opportunity into your hand to be able to make an impact um, and have an influence for you know, his kingdom and his purpose and to bring glory to him. He's put areas of, of responsibility into our hands. And so the, this is the mission that God has given to us. We love him. We're loving each other. We're taking care of what he has put into our hands. And God has called you as a husband and wife into this partnership with him and with each other to make an impact in your sphere of influence. God has given each of you talents and giftings that he wants you to use for his glory, to make an impact in the world. He's given you resources that he wants those to be used, not just for you to live, not just so you can get by, but because he calls us and invites us to invest in his kingdom. Now again, when a couple realizes this, marriage takes on a whole new meaning. It it suddenly becomes this, this endless possibilities that God has given to us. We're, we're not just living. We're not just trying to survive. But we realize we're here to make an impact. God has brought us together because he wants to use us together in the lives of people around us in big ways and in little ways. And what's amazing about this is that, you know, it, it, it never gets boring. I mean, it's like this... It's endless possibilities, and in every new season in our life, that's another reason why it doesn't get boring, because our lives change, our seasons change, and when each one of those change, it's another opportunity, it's new areas of influence. You know, for those who still have kids at home, or you have grandchildren that you are involved with on a regular basis, here's the balancing act, okay? Because part of our influence is is family. Here's the balancing act that we as parents or even grandparents are constantly playing is this. It's convincing your kids or your grandkids that that they are loved more than they could ever imagine. 
We want them to feel that. We want them to sense that. That they are loved more than they could ever imagine. But then here's the challenge. It's also trying to convince them that the world doesn't revolve around them, right? That's the challenge, right? You know, they, they think, you know, it's all about them and, and we're showering with love and it's easy. So, so we, we're, we're always wrestling with that challenge. Yeah, we definitely um, went through that when we were raising our three children who all had different uh, talents, different interests, uh, different social lives. And of course, we as parents wanted to support them in those things and be all about that, give them opportunities to participate in the things that mattered to them. But at times, it, it like really was pretty chaotic. And it was like juggling way too many balls. And Rob and I were spread way too thin with all of those responsibilities on top of everything else that was a commitment in our life, personally, in the church. Um, so there was a lot of stress. And I do remember a time where, where we kind of made like a shift, um, where we had to like learn to step back and look at the big picture of our family and kind of reevaluate the mission for our family. That, yeah, it's first and foremost to love God and live in such a way that would fulfill his plans and his purposes above all else. And so sometimes that meant that we had to say no to our kids. And they had to learn how to make sacrifices and care about one another. But really, we're just teaching them what we talked about in the first session. I remember in Philippians 2, where we are to look, at, look not only for our own interests, but we're to look out for the interests of others. And so it's, we can develop that in our children at a very young age, too. And it's important because we, you know, we want our children to witness the two of us, right, um, just living in a larger story than just us. We want them to right. capture that. Yeah, the last thing you want to see your kids, like what you're modeling for them is, you know, I'm just focused on how I can get ahead. Or I'm just focused on what's going to make me happy. Or I'm just focused on, you know, my, my interest. No, you want your kids, like Denise said, to see you being captured and caught up in a bigger story. This story of God, you know, that, that he has invited us. I mean, think about that. God invites us in to this story. And when our kids or our grandkids see us, you know, that that's our focus. And that's something that is, is molding us and shaping us and leading us. Um, it impacts them. They need to see us captured by greater things than just this life, than just pursuing pleasure so that they'll learn to do the same. And here's a word for you grandparents here, like Denise and I, we're grandparents. You know, I heard for years, oh, it's so fun being a grandparent. It's awesome because the kids come over and you just get to spoil them and give them ice cream and hype them up on sugar and then send them home, you know, to, to their parents, almost like payback, you know, for those years that the kids, you know, were, were hard on you, you know, type of a thing. And, but, you know, I've realized our role as grandparents is so much bigger than that because that's not our mission our mission isn't just to be like oh grandma and grandpa are so fun and you know that that kind of thing i mean we can definitely have those moments but the mission is coming alongside our adult children to give them breaks 
Can I get an amen to that? Those of you who have young kids, you know, to give them breaks. It's coming alongside of our adult children to help instill the principles that they're trying to instill into their kids. If they, you know, are, are walking with Jesus, if our adult children are walking with Jesus. And if they're not, then you get the awesome privilege of being living, breathing testimonies of Jesus to your grandkids. That's the mission that we get to embrace in being grandparents. And it's also, here's a big one, praying for them. Praying for those grandkids. I can't tell you, I did youth ministry for years. And I can't tell you the amount of kids that I have met who told me this. You know, my parents, they're, they're really not Christians. Or my parents, you know, they, they haven't been walking with Jesus for a really long time. But you know why I'm here? My grandmother prayed for me. My grandfather prayed for me. My grandmother, she's the one that brought me to church. And, and that is something that is so huge. So here's my point. Your marriage, no matter what season you are in, will take on a greater meaning. It will take on a greater purpose when you embrace the mission. Our mission is to love God with everything that we have. And then out of that, to love one another by showing interest. We talked about this last week, preferring one another, showing interest in the things that interest our spouse, and then by taking care of what God has put into our hands. Who are the people that he's put into your hands? Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your workmates, that person in the cubicle next to you who annoys you to death. God has put them there for a reason. Got to realize that. What responsibilities, what resources, what opportunities, what areas of influence? What has God given you and how can it be used for his glory? That's the mission. That's what we embrace. And when we do that, this never gets stale because it never gets boring because on our minds is, okay, what's next? What does God have next for us? So that's your mission if you choose to accept it, as they would say on Mission Impossible, right? The old one. Um, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love each other and take care of what God has put in your hands. Now, for the rest of our time tonight, Denise and I want to share three things that have been really, really helpful for us in our 36 years of being married. Um, three things that have really helped us to stay on mission. So that the mission is the adventure and has been the adventure for us. So there's three things that we want to note. The first is this, that we know our roles. We know what our roles are. We mentioned that marriage is an ordered equality. And I mentioned, you know, our text said, and God said to them, okay, it was a partnership. He was saying it to both of them. Now, it's interesting, though, in this ordered equality, God calls the husband the head. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, okay, there's that submission that we're to have to Jesus, he's our head, and the head of the woman is is the man. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 5. In fact, why don't you turn now to Ephesians chapter 5? Because we're going to kind of be there for a little bit. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, I'll let you get there. 
Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he says this again, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. So I want you to notice this picture. Jesus is the head of every man. You are to be yielded to him, but the man is the head of the woman. And then it's been said that the woman is the neck that turns the head. (laughs) I don't know. You maybe heard that. I think there's some truth to that. But not in the way that you might think. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But here's what guys need to understand, okay? Why has God called us the head? Some guys are saying, well, because I'm smarter, you know or I'm more spiritual, or I'm, you know... No, it's none of those things. It's not because you're smarter. You probably aren't. It's not because you're more spiritual. You probably aren't. It's, it's none of those things. God picks you to be the, the head, not because you are, you know, more spiritual or more organized or in some way better. The reason why you are the head is twofold. The first has to do with a picture. That God has designed this thing that we call marriage to be a picture of his relationship with us, the church. That's what he tells us there in Ephesians. This is a picture. The husband is to be the head of the wife. And we're going to talk about this in more detail next week, guys, when we talk about the role of the husband. We're really going to dive into Ephesians chapter 5 here, where he says, Husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church, in that he gave himself for us. And this is the picture that Paul paints for the husband, is that of servant leadership to Jesus. That he serves his bride, the church. He serves us. And we respond to his love for us. And that's what the picture is supposed to look like in the marriage relationship. And and that's why our marriages can be this beautiful gospel testimony to people as they, you know, maybe look at you and they're like, hey, what's your secret? And you get to share this with them. Like, well, you know, this is how God designed marriage. It's to be this picture of Jesus and, and the church. And so this is what we're, you know, seeking to fulfill. So that's the first. It's it's a picture. But the second, and this is I think even more or as important, I will say, is it's a matter of responsibility. What do I mean by that? Because we, listen guys, because we are in the place of Jesus in the picture, okay? He puts us, that's what he puts us. Because we are put in the place of Jesus in the picture, I believe the brunt of the responsibility for the success of the marriage rests on our shoulders. Now, guys hate to hear this. I've had guys get mad at me. I've had some guys send me some mean emails for saying this. But listen, this is the picture that Paul's painting. He says, men, you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Now, let me ask you this question. The Bible says that we as believers, we love Jesus because he what? First loved us. So what the Bible is saying is our love for Jesus is a response. It's in response to his love for us. 
And that's the picture that Paul is painting in the marriage. He's saying, guys, look, your wife's love for you is going to be in response to your love for her. Okay, That's the picture that he paints. And I, and I like to say this, because none of us guys get this perfect, right? You know, I, I went into marriage thinking, in fact, when, when we were first getting married and they suggested that we do marriage counseling, I thought, you know, why? I know what the Bible says, you know? The Bible says, love her as Christ loved the church, and she's supposed to submit. You know, what else do we need to know? I mean, that was my mentality. And after about two sessions, I was like, I don't have a clue. And when the guy who was counseling us you know, put Jesus and propped him up like, Rob, here's your example. I'm like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) I can't be that. I can't do that. And, And that's the truth. None of us can be Jesus. Ladies, your husband is not Jesus. You need to understand that, okay? He'll never be Jesus. But I like to say this, and this is what I've observed. A husband who is seeking and trying to love his wife the way that Jesus did in most cases, this is what I found, is that she will respond favorably to him. When she sees that he's, he's seeking, he's trying, he's, he's putting out that effort. So it's a matter, guys, of responsibility. We, we will be held the most responsible because of this biblical principle, and we need to embrace that. So the husband is the head. That's our role. We're the head. The wife, her role is to be the helper. Remember, that's what God called her in Genesis. I'll bring him a helper suitable to him. Yeah, and oftentimes um, I see that women can struggle with being given this title. I think because the implication is that we're just here to clean the house and cook the meals and um, you know, do the laundry, raise the kids, and um, whatever else that our husbands need us to help them do. And um, I mean, sadly, in some cases, that is the reality that the, the mentality of some men is actually that. But it, it can be a source of contention in the marriage yeah. relationship of just not really understanding what God is meaning here by being the helper. Um, and we have this false idea of what that God given name really means. But God's heart is that we would understand that it is a unique design like it's in our dna and it's to be a blessing for us and god says in genesis 2 18 a helper comparable to him it's really a beautiful picture yeah now check this out okay this is i'm I'm, i love this to me this is like a game changer all right so guys you need to listen ladies need to listen because this is amazing when god calls eve adam's helper he uses a phrase in the Hebrew that is the Ezer Kenegdo, okay? This is a powerful name. It is a powerful title. Ezer appears 21 times in the Old Testament. 
Twice here in Genesis, it's given in reference to Eve, the first woman. Three times it's given in reference to the nations that came alongside Israel to help them militarily, okay? They were their Ezer, their, their helper. But get this, it's, it's mentioned 16 times in reference to God himself as the helper of Israel, so some examples, the Hebrew tomb Ezer, or helper, is employed to describe God as the consummate, or consummate intervener, that he's the helper of the fatherless in Psalm 10, verse 14, that he was King David's helper and deliverer in Psalm 70, verse 5, that he was Israel's shield and Ezer, his helper, in Deuteronomy 33, 29. And in Genesis chapter 2, Ezer is combined with the word konegdo to mean something like this, a helper of the same nature or corresponding character. Konegdo literally means as in front of him. And and the picture that it's giving us in Genesis chapter 2 is that she was made to be Adam's perfect match. That she was to be the yin to his yang, we might say, you know, his the perfect match. And so everything about this title, don't miss this, everything about this title, this is your role, ladies. You are the Zer Konegdo, guys, at home tonight, you know. You say, you never whisper any sweet nothings in my ear. Just whisper, you're my Zer Konegdo. Just start calling her that, you know. Um, but everything in the title, it means mutuality. It means harmony. It means partnership. If we were looking at it in a business way, it'd be like how the CEO and the CFO work hand in hand. This is the picture that God paints for us with the first married couple. And in this context, this idea of the Zerkinigdo is literally the woman, it's been said she's the, they would call her the essential comrade to the husband and even the lifesaver. That's the picture that the Lord is painting when he says, ladies, this is your role. You're the helper. Okay. So it's not cleaning, not, you know, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that that's, you know, we don't have partnership in there. But you know what I mean? It's, again, like you said, it's not all that. It's, it's a beautiful, it's a big, it's a wonderful title. And again, this kind of comrade, like lifesaver, can go against the, just that fiber of our imagination because we grew up as little girls in, in the fairy tale stories. It's the prince who is the one who is the lifesaver. He fights the dragons. He comes and helps the damsel in distress. And so, you know, we have, we have that, you know, uh, we're not, but we're not living in a fairy tale story. We're living in God's story. And it's the way that God has written it. And we have to realize that the battle we face to like embrace our design really is like a spiritual battle. And it, it's, it's, it's Satan at the very root of it, and it was from the very beginning, right? When he's in the garden and he approaches Eve, where he twists and distorts God's word, and he got Eve to doubt his goodness and his design uh, for her. She felt like he was, you know, keeping her out of the best for her. She was going to miss out, um, and so she fell for the lie, right? 
And she disobeyed God, and she reaped the consequences. And now under the curse, all women, we have this innate desire to lead, to lord over. It's in our flesh um, to want to do that rather than to want to help. And that's exactly what Satan wants to happen in the marriage relationship because he's out to kill, to steal, and to destroy marriages. In fact, he wants to destroy the very institution of marriage. And we're seeing that right now in this day and age in our culture in a very, very powerful way. So the world's bought into that lie, but we can't buy into that lie. And we need to embrace God's name for us. Because it's only really in living out God's purpose and design that we find that true um, just fulfillment and pleasure in life. So what does that look like, ladies? Well, it's the kind of help that demands full deployment of your strengths and your gifts and the best that you have to offer that relationship. So, of course, women are typically more wired to uh, make a house a home. We have a nurturing thing that God has given us, so that nurturing in relationships and with our children. We often set that emotional tone Mm -hmm. for the home. Of course, now in some marriages, it can be opposite, so you have to know how you're wired and how your husband's wired. But um, so that is definitely a part of it, making our, our house our home for our family and having that desire to do that. And then, of course, it, at the for all of us, just because we are followers followers of Christ, we should want to be a servant of all, right? And that includes our spouse. And so um, that should be our heart that we want to serve our husband and take care a lot of the practical needs that are going to just best to serve him. Um, It's also caring about the emotional and spiritual side of your spouse, that we are encouraging our husband. We're affirming him. Men need affirmation. They need to know that we're listening, that we're caring, um, and remembering, like, Because I don't know why, it's just that thing in us, but sometimes we can see our husband as the adversary, (laughs) that we're on different sides when, in fact, we're supposed to be a team and a partnership. Um, And then, like Rob said earlier, praying. Praying is such a huge part of what that looks like for you Mm -hmm. to be your husband's helper, is that he knows when he leaves... (laughs) Uh, and goes out the door every day, he has a praying wife that's, that's praying for him. That's, that's the most powerful thing we can do. Another thing I would say is being respectful. We're called to be respectful as wives to our husbands. And I think really honestly part of respect is that, I mean, in a really practical sense, because <laughs> uh, I think we all can tend to do this at times, is that we are not parenting our husband. And sometimes we don't even mean to do it, but when you start having kids and you're just in that parent role, you cannot, your husband comes home and you're treating him the same, you're speaking to him the same way. That doesn't work. That's not respectful. We're not there to parent our husband, nor are we there to mother our husband. Um, and so that's another way that we show respect. But the key is that, is that we're partnering with him with the heart to be a help on the journey of life together. Um, and it's a humbling fact, really, that we as women can change our husband's life, either for the better mm. or for the worse, okay. by what we contribute to his life. So I want to encourage you ladies that you would take time this week to really seek the Lord and ask him to show you what it looks like to to be on mission with your husband. What does it look like 
to um, be in submission to him? What does it look like in that role for you specifically, for your husband, for your family? And um, pray that through. And, and then I just want to encourage you that, again, we can't do any of this apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And I always want to remind myself, you know, that the very name of the Holy Spirit is our Helper. So we're called and designed to be a helper for our husband, but we have the Holy Spirit, men and women, to be our help through all of this. It's really a powerful and beautiful imagery. It's good. You know, I think it's interesting that you know you mentioned about the fairy tale mm-hmm. and how you know in the so the early fairy tales, like when a lot of us in this room were kids it was always you know the prince comes to the rescue but isn't it interesting today in so many of the movies and the, and the fairy tales it's like there's no there's not a prince it's like a, a woman it's a, who can do everything like i don't need a guy you know and i'll just i'll slay the dragon and i'll do this and that's kind of the message that's being sent but what god's saying is it's the two of you together it's the two of you together being on mission together and realizing your roles and, and, and that the lady has been given this incredible title and this incredible role as the Azair Konegdo. And so she has this special role in the family to come alongside her husband in a way that is supportive to help him fulfill his role in the family and do what God has called him to do. And I think we have in Ephesians chapter 5 sort of a picture given to us of what that's supposed to look like practically in an everyday aspect. So again, in Ephesians 5, if you look at verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then skip down to verse 33. He says, And the wife is to respect her husband. Okay? The Zer, so I want to talk about a little bit here for a minute, the Zerkinegdo's role, the wife's role in submission, what does that look like? Now, the, the definition of submission or submit means to place yourself under someone else. Now, I want you to note this. It's you placing yourself under someone else. It's, guys, it's not being placed Okay, that's where what happens a lot of times. It's like I'm going to put her in her place. You know, she needs to be under me. No, no, it's her voluntarily. This is when two people are on mission together. They realize, hey, I realize my role is to place myself under you and i'm embracing that that i'm here to support you that i'm here to lift you up that i'm here here to help carry out this mission that we are on together i'm i'm here to help you do what god has called us to do so she isn't trying to do something that she isn't called to do but she's realizing my role is to come under to lift up my role is to come under to help support. My role is to come under to help uh, guide in this. And so the wife is to place herself under her husband like the church. Place, we place ourselves under Jesus. We do that voluntarily and we do it out of love, a response to his love for us. Now, there's a connection there between love and submission and respect. 
See, respect means to notice, regard, to prefer, to defer to, to encourage, to love, and admire. So this is what you get when you put this together. Submission plus respect equals support. But submission minus respect equals duty. Okay? So when there's submission that's being born out of love because I know my role, I know my place, I know my husband's role, I'm embracing this, that equals support. But when it's, you know, minus the respect, it's just a duty. It's just a def- even a defiance. You know, it's like the little girl whose parents told her, you know, sit down, you know, you need to sit down. And, and so she sat down like this and she said, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, you know. And how many ladies are like that? You know, it's like that's their mentality. It's like, okay, I'm doing this, but I don't like it, you know, type of a thing. Now, here's a question. We talked about this on Sunday. Is there ever a time when a wife should not submit? Look at verse 24. He says, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And at first glance, it would seem like Paul is saying in verse 24 that a wife can't pick or choose when she's going to submit. But as I mentioned on Sunday, we also need to tie, because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says that wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And that's the key, as is fitting, what's in agreement with the Lord. And so in other words, if there's anything that your, wife, that your husband is wanting you to do that goes against Scripture, you say no to that. You, you're not called to submit to that. You know, if there's anything that is abusive, that's the saddest thing I've ever seen as a pastor, is wives who are living under heavy abuse and manipulation from their husbands because they think, oh, you know, I've got to su- I, I need to submit. No, no, no. God does not call a woman to ever be a punching bag or to be abused in any type of way. If your husband's, you know, trying to get you to watch porn with him, no, you don't need to submit to that or do weird sexual things. No, you don't need to submit to that. Or anything that you're uncomfortable with, anything that's illegal or dangerous, no, you don't need to submit to that. So there are some things that, because that's, a couple that is doing any of those things, they're not on mission. You know, that's, that's off-center. And your highest authority, ladies, is, is Jesus. Okay? Yeah, and again, like Rob said, he taught on this Sunday, and it was powerful. So if you missed that message, I really, really encourage you to go back and watch and listen to that. He goes into so much detail in that. So it's very, very important. Um, but Rob made it clear that you do not submit to anything that's going to cause you to sin, to go against your conscience, cause you to stumble. And um, when I think of that, that word fitting in the Lord, it takes me right back to in Matthew where Jesus calls out to everyone and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's it's fitting. And like you said, we've already chosen to come under Christ. So, um, you know, what's so in the marriage role relationship, it still needs to be as is fitting in the Lord. What's going to be um, safe and healthy and, and able to, for us to walk in a way that bears fruit. 
Um, another thing is there's a lot, there are many, many women here at Calvary Vista whose husbands are either not saved or they've backslidden or they're just in rebellion to uh, wanting to live according to the word of God. And that is a really, really difficult path. And uh, my heart goes out to those women. And if that's one of you in this room, my heart goes out to you too. I know it's very, very, very difficult, but we have to take hope in the word of God and place our hope in that. And in First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we're probably all familiar with it, it says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, Okay. They, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So in other words, if it's an unbeliever or a believer who's not walking. So in other words, ladies, you submit in those things that are fitting in the Lord, and hopefully that husband will eventually be persuaded by the way you live to want to submit to Christ and his word also. But don't submit in the things that are not fitting in the Lord. And really, I think this whole, in this whole discussion about submission, um, you know, that we're to do it as unto the Lord because we are first and foremost submitted to God. So it is a heart matter. And the truth is, for me, the submissions, um, I mean, come on, submission's not easy for any of us, right, in our, in our relationship with God, you know, which it's we're, we're always called in submission in that relationship. So why would we think it would be easier to submit mutually to one another and then for a wife to submit to, to her husband? It's not easy, but it's right. It's God's way. It's his path. And, um, you know, the more I grow in my walk with the Lord and, and his love for me, the more I trust him and his word, his character, the more that I submit to him. And his perfect love casts out fear. And, it, and again, it's that same application in the marriage relationship. And really, for a woman, the more she's feeling, the more she's growing in that relationship and she's knowing that she's loved, the more she's going to walk in a way where she's wanting to um, submit and, and yield in that way. Because she find it literally, when it's healthy, and your, your husband's loving you as Christ loved the church, it, it brings, like, comfort, right? It's safe. Mm. It's, it's reassuring. I find rest in that um, ability to be able to submit under, under Rob. So when it's done in the right way yeah. and in the Lord, it's, it's freeing, actually. It's not, it's not a burden. Yeah. It's light. So, so, so when a, a wife is living in her role as the Azar Canigdo, great things can happen because one that communicates love and respect to your husband and i think every guy in this room you know and anybody listening online would attest it's a great feeling it's great when you know man my wife she's behind me you know she loves me you know she's my cheerleader and and you know she knows i'm not perfect but she's you know she's there and she's supporting me. that's a great feeling so it communicates that it, it also when you're allowing yourself to be that willing helper for your husband it, it allows him to f- better fulfill his calling in the Lord, because he's not fighting, you know, against you, so to speak. It's been said in Proverbs 12, verse 14, that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to his, to his bones. I mean, isn't that a 
incredible picture. You know, it's like a crown or I'm rotting inside. You know, that's the difference. And, and the third thing is when you're placing your husband in a position, when you're being that Azer Konegdo and you're living and, and coming in that place that God has given to you, you are placing your husband in a position where he can be further molded and shaped by Jesus. And I'll say this, I have seen some women actually stunt the spiritual growth of their husbands because they were doing everything that he should be doing. And, and so he never, ever really, because this is the thing, okay? Men by nature, we have a tendency to be passive. I might have said this before, but if I, if I did, forgive me, but I'm going to bring it up again. But, you know, a lot of people think that Adam's sin in the garden was that he left Eve uncovered. You know, maybe you've heard that before. Like, you know, the problem was with Adam as he was off somewhere in the, else, anywhere in the garden and the, he left Eve alone and she fell under the temptation of, of the enemy. That is not a right biblical picture of what happened there because this was Adam's sin. It was being passive. Because this is what it says. Look it up later on your own in Genesis 3. It says that Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and then she gave it to her husband who was with her. That's how it says. So it's like Adam's standing there watching this whole thing go down and he's not doing anything. He was being passive. And this can oftentimes happen with us guys. That's our natural, like, oh, my wife, oh, she's great. She's going to do that. Oh, I don't need to pray with the kids. Oh, she'll do that. I don't need to be, you know, and no. Ladies, you can stunt your husband's spiritual growth by doing all of those things instead of allowing him to step up and allowing God to mold him and shape him into that area. So when a couple is living on mission, they embrace their roles and they can become this amazing team and God is glorified in their relationship. And it's this beautiful picture. God's at the helm. The husband and wife are connected to him and they're working together. So What has helped Denise and I stay on mission? Number one, we know our roles and we're seeking to live those out. The second is that we've come to discover that we're stronger together. There's a great picture of this in Ecclesiastes chapter four. Yeah, and I'm gonna read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in a real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? And I'm like, yes, I'm so glad that this is in here because (laughs) Rob runs hot. (laughs) And so on those winter months, I can just get into bed and put my cold feet right up against him. And I have the liberty and the freedom. It says right here, that's what he's for, right? Keep me warm. It's evil is what it is. And then it goes on to say in verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And what's that cord? It's Jesus in the center and the two of you wrapped around him. So when we, we have learned to, to stay on mission by realizing we're actually stronger together. And yeah, I keep her warm, uh, but you know, we're stronger together. And, and we call that synergy. 
You know, that's what synergy is. The definition is the interaction of elements that when combined produce the total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual parts. That's what synergy is. It's synergy is two people pulling together in the same direction versus pulling in opposite directions. What do you call it when you're pulling in opposite directions? tug of war, right? And that's sometimes what the marriage relationship can be like. When we're not on mission, it's like, no, I want to do this. No, I want to do this. This is what's important. No, I think this is what's important. And, <laughs> you know, and we're in that place where we're, instead of pulling together, we're pulling apart. Yeah, I have a great picture of this. So years ago, I mean, most of you probably know by now that Rob loves kayaking. He talks about it quite often. Well, years ago, when when we had an opportunity to go out for the first time in a single kayak together. No, tandem. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You can't go in a single together, can you? That might be kind of (laughs) fun. (laughs) Anyways, in a tandem. And we were so excited. So we get out there, and within a very short amount of time, it was not so fun. Because we, like, we stroke different. We have a different rhythm. It was like we're bashing our our paddles together, we're going in circles, and I'm getting flustered, and I just remember thinking, get me out of this boat. It was not fun. And matter of fact, I mean, we tried a few times more throughout the years where we we would try, and uh, we just realized that we have an issue. So Rob got really brilliant, and his solution was he bought me my own kayak. (laughs) It was awesome. But, um, you know, honestly, sometimes in the marriage relationship, we can feel like two people, right, that are just, we're not in sync, and we're just like bashing heads together, and especially in the difficult seasons and the trials that um, we have to face with parenting and finances and career stuff and health issues, and our temptation um, is to want to get out of the boat, to, to jump ship, and that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. But we've got to stay in the boat, and we've got to learn how to work together and be a team and realize that we are better together if we work together. And, and again, goes back to that picture in Ecclesiastes. I love this, standing back-to-back mm-hmm. so we can conquer the enemy. Uh, so, so good. <laughs> it is. And I will say, though, we have learned how to do a tandem kayak together. We've gotten our rhythm and, you know, we've learned. It only took me years and years. It took a long time. It took a long time for her. And and a lot of times now we have this this I, I like to, I love to kayaks so we have kayaks and and we have this one where we take our dog out in it and Denise sits in the front and I paddle like I do all the paddling <laughs> and she takes pictures <laughs> so that's probably her favorite one yeah. of all when but we the do real that. key to to making it work really honestly it's a it's it's I had to. C- come into his rhythm of his yeah. stroke and that's the reality in the marriage again it's a great picture right for us of, of us women we have to adjust our stroke our rhythm to allow our husband to lead so we have learned to stay on mission by knowing our roles realizing that we're stronger together that we need to be pulling together not pulling apart and then here's another one is that we and i would say this is one we're learning we're learning to appreciate our differences. 
Learning to appreciate that. You know, when you learn to appreciate your differences, you begin to realize how much you need one another. And Denise brings incredible balance to my life. Um, you know, when our kids were younger, I tended to be crazy when it would come, you know, to discipline. Or when they were teenagers, it would be like, you're, you're, you know, on restriction for a year. You know, like that would be my overreaction. I know, right? And then later, I'm like, seriously, babe? <laughs> like, it's not realistic. And you're punishing all of us. Like, when you're putting them on this long, you know, restriction, it, it affects all of us. And so, you know, you got to be realistic with that. But, you know, it, it goes the other way with Rob um, and our differences that I appreciate. Because on the other hand, I have a short fuse. I'm more emotional, so I I have more of the outbursts. Um, and then he brings that stability because he's more. You are more calm and patient, and so it's just I've learned to appreciate that from Rob being able to do that in those circumstances for me. Yeah. And you know, as a pastor, one of the things that God has placed into my hands is. People, you know, I'm the shepherd and oversee people. And again, Denise has been an incredible um, help in that because one of the things is she's way more sensitive than I am. And, you know, sometimes it would drive me crazy, but I've learned to appreciate it because we would be, let's say, like at an event together and we would be part of like the same conversation with a group of people and we'll get in the car and we start talking and she would say something like, hey, babe, did you notice how sad so-and-so was tonight? And I'm like, nope, (laughs) you know, no, I didn't notice that at all. I I totally missed it. Or or she would say, you know, babe, did you notice this? And and just so much clued into things that I wasn't missing, but it really, really, really helped me. And there were even times where we would be out with somebody and she would do this, you know, we'd be talking with somebody and I'd start talking and then I'd I'd feel under the table. Denise would be like doing this on my leg, you know, and and at first I thought she was like trying to give me a signal like, hey, I'm ready to go home. You know, I'm ready to get out of here. I thought she was getting frisky, you know, with me, you know, like type of thing. And and she told me later, no, I was trying to get you you to stop talking because I knew you were going to say something that you were going to regret, you know, and so... I, I like that now, you know, I, I like it both ways, but I like when, you know, <laughs> she's like giving me that little, you know, like, hey, s- stop, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. And, and her sensitivity has helped me become a lot more sensitive. So something that at one time it would drive me crazy, I've learned now to really, really appreciate it. Um, for years, Denise and I over saw our Thrive ministry here at the church. How many of you have been to one of our Thrive dinners before? Okay, so when we first started doing this, okay, every Tuesday Thrive night, and, and so we were in, you know, we would oversee the setting up of everything, and, and you know, Steve and I would talk about the, the menu, and, and we would, like, early on, like, every Tuesday, we would get in a fight. Fight. It was horrible. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're supposed to be leading the marriage ministry and, and like we're fighting over the, like how to put the chairs and the tables or the Yeah, how the setup how was set supposed to and, go, you yeah. know, and, and so by the time the night we didn't want to sit next to one another, you know, and we're supposed to be leading like, hey, we want you to thrive in your marriage and 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 it was this and it took me like you know, like, okay, knucklehead was I knew this. All the guys cared about 
was the food, you know? As long as the food was good, the guys were going to be happy. So I didn't care about tablecloths and centerpieces and any of that. And I mean, I've never in the eight years that we did, I've never had a guy walk up to me and go, man, the centerpieces tonight were amazing, you know? No, not at all. But But you ladies appreciate it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, the ladies are like, oh, it looks so pretty, you know. And, and so finally, I came to the realization, okay, Denise is better than that, at that, than I am. So I need to let her shine. I need to let her use her gifts. I need to let her assemble her team that are going to make everything beautiful. And so I'd get all, all the guys in here, and it would be like, okay, we're going to set up, you know, tear down everything, do all the heavy lifting, and, you know, stack all the chairs, and then put up all the tables, and then put all the chairs around the tables, and then we would leave. And then the ladies would come in, and, you know, and they would make everything look pretty and beautiful. And if, if you ever want to come and be a part of that, ladies, you're welcome to do that. We do it during the day. So again, it's coming to that place where you, you learn to appreciate your differences helps you stay on mission. It helps you realize like, oh, she's better at this than me, or he's, he's really good at that, or hey, I can come alongside him in this way if he'll let me, and this'll, I'll make, it'll help make this even better. And, then, and when you begin to realize that, I mean, it becomes this beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and, and I think another way, or a fact, that another big reason why God brought the two of you together and why you are different I like to call this God's end game. Romans 8, 29, he says this. This is God's ultimate goal with all of us is to conform you into the image of his own dear son. Okay, that's what he's seeking to do. And your spouse is going to be a part of that process to help you be conformed into the image of Jesus. Your spouse will bring out the best in you But if we're honest, there's also going to be times when your spouse is going to rub you the wrong way, okay? And it's in those times when our spouse is kind of rubbing us the wrong way that we we have to approach that in the right way. Think of it like this. I have this cup up here. And I bet you some of you may be wondering, I wonder who he's drinking in there tonight, you know? Has he got some coffee in there? He's got... It's water. Um, But let's say... That all of a sudden, you know, somebody bumped the table and my cup tipped over and spilled out, okay? Now, here's the thing. The bump didn't create what was in the cup. It simply revealed what was in the cup, right? Well, we all have this stuff in us, okay? And we go through these bumps. And sometimes the bump is our spouse might bump us, you know? And this stuff comes out. Stuff that we thought wasn't there. Or stuff that we thought was gone a long time ago. And it, and it comes out of us. And it reveals, you know, what's inside of us. And, and this, this is huge. If you catch this. When you begin to see those things that your spouse does that bumps you or rubs you the wrong way, that irritates you and causes this stuff to come out of you that you, you know, maybe thought wasn't there anymore, here's what you need to do. Stop asking this question. 
what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Why does she keep bugging me in this way? And you need to start asking this question. What's wrong with me? Why did that bother me so much? Because this is what God's doing in those moments is he's seeking to use your spouse to reveal a part of you that he wants to change. And this is huge. When you recognize that, that God is just using your spouse to reveal the things that he wants to continue to mold and shape in your life. And if you embrace that, if you realize, okay, my cup got knocked over today and some ugly stuff spilled out of it, but it's not her, it's me. Lord, why did that bother me so much? And he'll, he'll speak to you. And he'll begin to reveal to you that something in you, and it's part of that process, that God. And, it, and, and sometimes what is causing the bumps in us is our differences. That we look at something different. We approach it different. We, we think differently. And, 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 it, and, it's, and, and it bothers us because it's really revealing a pride in us that I think I know what's best. I mean, that's what was going on on those Friday nights. I, I think I know that doesn't matter. I had no idea that it mattered so much to you ladies, you know, to have centerpieces and nice silverware and tablecloths and all that. I just thought, hey, the food's good. But it, it was revealing something, a pride in me that God wanted to, to squish, that God wanted to mold in the shape. So as we close tonight, couples who stay on mission, Couples who stay in love, I'll put it this way, are couples who stay on mission, who realize this is the adventure. This is the adventure. They realize that that God has given us this mission to love him and then to love each other and to take care of what he's put into our hands. And I just want you to, to think about that for a little bit as you go your way tonight. Like, okay, I want you to look back. Do a little look back, okay, on your marriage. And think about, okay, what did he put in our hands in year one? And what does he put into our hands now? How has it changed? You know, how has it evolved? How has God, you know, enlarged, we could say, our borders, so to speak? You know, he's enriched us with greater influence and greater opportunity and, and greater responsibility. All of that's a part of the, the mission. So, we're, we're loving him. We're loving each other. We're taking care of what he's put into our hands. And we stay on mission by understanding our roles, by knowing we're stronger together, and then learning to celebrate and appreciate our differences. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, our time tonight. And I thank you for each one of these marriages represented here. Um, I thank you, Lord, for, for the... Um, time that they are spending to um, invest in this incredible, important, and beautiful relationship that they have with one another. And Lord, I pray tonight that um, you would help us all to embrace and to get excited about this mission that you call marriage, this adventure that you've invited us into and to be a part of. And Lord, I pray we would embrace it and we would walk in it. In Jesus' name.
Amen.